And so today is day 12. It's the last day of the 62nd London Film Festival. So, you know, this is your last, essentially your last daily edition of Echo Chamber. You know, so, um, yeah, we're, we're bringing you films, bringing you look, two premieres. We've got the Stan and Ollie that's premiering today. We've got um, Mari that premiere today. And we have The Ballad of Buster Shrugs, the latest film from the Coen brothers. But, you know, um, yeah. It might be the last day of the festival, but, you know, it's still fun. It's still great films to see. So um, I hope that these reviews, these Q&As, you know, I hope it's all interesting and useful for you. And it will help you gauge what you might see next at the cinema. I opened the last day of the festival with a screening of Stan and Ollie. Uh, this is the new film by John S. Bard. It's produced by Faye Ward. Uh, it's written by Jeff Pope. And it stars Steve Coogan, John C. Riley, Nina Arida, Shirley Henderson and Danny Houston. It's 97 minutes and it's from Entertainment One. In 1953, several years after their last film and with their immense celebrity on the wane, Stan Laurel and Ollie Hardy embark on a big tour of British seaside towns and music halls. Surprised by the modesty of the bookings, and cramped little guest houses, the tour starts off subdued. They struggle for audiences and their booking agent seems disinterested. But a series of TV guest spots and celebrity appearances soon rekindle the country's interest in their genius and the buzz grows as they head towards a big London finale. As the attention builds, so too do old resentments coming to a head as they're joined by the wives Lucille and Ida. <clears throat> um, Coogan and Riley fans know their brilliance as physical comedians, but to watch them here is a revelation. They nail body language mannerisms and also routines the duo would have known in their sleep after decades performing together. Craft is sublime throughout, crystallised in an audacious opening with each department dazzling in a six minute tracking sequence captured by Laurie Rose's camera team. Director John S. Bard <clears throat> Um, screenwriter Jeff Pope and producer Faye Ward offer a poignant study of lifelong male friendship and a fitting tribute to two of cinema's 
comedy giant. I really wasn't sure what to um, make of this film, you know, when I first heard about it. You know, was it, how good was it actually going to be? Because, look, as, as, as the copy said, Coogan and Riley are great performers in their own right. But Stan and Laurel, these two people, you know what I mean? These are great classics in the game. I grew up watching all the black and white films. You know, my nan used to like them. So when she came over, you know what I mean? It's watching them. My mum liked it. So, you know, it's watching the old classic films over and over again. So you develop this interest, this this appreciation, this love of what they did, their art, you know, for the comedic form. And so trying to see something, and I, I remember when they um, digitalised and coloured some of the old films, and they just looked weird, and it just didn't seem to work. Uh, you know, so the fear is, will this be the same? Will this be that? And so... As the film opens with this whole sequence of them, you know, doing a sulking, basically. You know, they get, the camera's just tracking them all the way through these different sets. And they're, like, doing little jumps and, and manoeuvring and everything. And it's just great. It's really good. But one of the things that first stood out to me was... Ooh... Coogan doesn't quite sound right. He doesn't sound like Stan. I don't know. Like, how how am I going to watch this? Uh, because Riley doesn't do bad at, at, at pulling off an ollie. And, and I'm assuming it's prosthetics, or, or maybe they just got him to eat a lot for, for, a, for a while. But, yeah, he looks the part. And Coogan does look like Stan. It's not too bad. Maybe Stan was a little bit thinner in face and stuff, um, uh, but Coogan does. He, you know, what I mean? he he does look the part. But it was just the voice. I, I felt it wasn't quite there, and so that worried me for a while. Um, and and I was afraid it w- it would be that thing that kind of just separated me from the enjoying the film. But as things went on. Yeah, you 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 just feel like ah, you know that that's whatever, whatever. Like obviously, you can't have everything, and to get people to sound exactly the same, you know, that's a hard that's hard press. So yeah, it was you know I was able to then enjoy the film just for the film's sake, and so after this crazy beginning, you know, we jump sixteen years, and. Like they're um they're arriving in Newcastle for the start of their English tour, and so that's what we're kind of seeing. And uh, you know they're at this small little guest house. They're kind of thinking like, "Whoa, this isn't. It's not quite like before, is it? You know, like where are all the people meeting us? Where is?" Where is all the adoration? Where is, you know, the stuff that we're used to? Like, how we used to be perceived. And so, you know, you're seeing this. And it's like, 
them realizing, yeah, they they, it's not the Stan and Ollie from the height of their career, from all that fame. So it's an interesting look at how they navigate this, how they go through, you know, um, and yeah, as time goes on, you know, people start. You know, remembering their skills, their classicness, and it all like changes again for them. But you know, essentially, though, this is this is a buddy film from the original buddies. You know what I mean? It's like that original double act, Stan and Ollie, as and so this is. Is a look at it's a look at friendship. It's a look at you know reconnect reconnecting with someone that you've kindly kind of gone out of sync with. It's it's putting aside past hurts, past issues. You know, it's finding a way to kind of navigate those issues. And there are hurts. There are definitely hurts. And we see those. And it's interesting because there's one thing Stan did. um, Sorry, Ollie did to Stan. And later on, like, Stan has an opportunity to do a similar thing. And we we see we see the hurt. We see how it's affected him. You know, we see all that emotion when he's looking across. He's hearing lines. He's seeing the cast being played with, and so you realise you're like, oh, that's why. That's why this issue, he always brings it up. That's why he's, um, you know, always hurt. He always says, you know, why you see this deadness in him when anyone brings up that incident. That's why. And so it's an interesting counterpoint to the, like, the beginning of the film. And so it's great, you know, seeing that. Because, you know, this this is the look at the friendship. This is a look at, you know, how do you maintain? You know, how do you nourish? Like, how do you get past issues, incidents? Like, you know, what what happens with that? So it's it's fascinating it's it's a really good little look you know and the wives are magnificent the wives are truly magnificent they really add something to this film you know so when they come on board it's it's this this new element it's fantastic but you know everyone does put on some really good performances um, you know, and after seeing this film, look, my parents do not go to the cinema much. They're not a fan of like big bangs and crashes and all you know, all of that kind of thing. But I I I feel this is something that they could go to the cinema and watch. 
yeah it's it's one of those films that i think it transcends you know age anyone can co-watch this and enjoy it you know um so yeah that is is stan and ollie man I, um yeah it's a, it's a great film it is it, it's, it's something that you know look the weather is getting cold it's getting rainy and this is the perfect film to watch on a rainy cold sunday you know like either go watch this and then go get food afterwards or or have a roast and then go watch this it's a perfect combination i think it will work and i yeah and i think yeah this is a film that anyone can watch and enjoy stan and ollie So the Cohen brothers had a, a film in the um, festival this year, and this was the Ballad of Buster Shrugs. Uh, so this is directed by and written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's produced by the Cohen brothers, Megan Ellison, Sue Neagle, and Robert Graff, and it's starring Tim Blake Nelson. Liam Neeson, Tom Waits, Zoe Kazan and Bill Heck. It's 132 minutes, which is the longest film of the Cohen's career so far. And it's distributed by Netflix. Okay, so the breakdown is, if you want... To fathom the bottomless world that is the Cohen's imagination, look no further. As storytelling goes, this is a wildly idiomatic, undeniably hilarious, and often touchingly melancholic, a cinema brio study of the American West. Every delectable chapter presents a different story from the world frontier with tone and style perfectly calibrated for each tale. The Ballad of Buster Shrugs finds Tim Blake Nelson playing a sharpshooting songster in near Algodron's James Franco's wannabe bank robber gets his due and then some and just a little bit more for good measure lugabric brios dark humour pervades the Liam Neeson starring meal ticket a gothic tale about two weary travelling performers Tom Waits minds a rich seam of humour in Old Gold Canyon, while Zoe Kazan finds an unexpected promise of love, along with a dose of life's cruel irony on a wagon train across the prairies in The Gal Who Got Rattled. Finally, ghostly laughs haunt the mortal remains as 
Tyne Daily rains judgment upon a motley crew of strangers undertaking a final carriage ride. Exquisitely shot by Bruno Del Bonnel and intricately designed by Jess Gonchur. Um, this is one for true connoisseurs. Bedtime stories for cinema lovers. I, this, you know, it, it's, yeah, so essentially it's an anthology of um, a half dozen Western tales. And, um, yeah, it was going through so many different iterations. Like, it, originally it was going to be a film, um, and then they decided to turn it into a TV series. But then adapt that TV series so they could show it also in the cinemas as a film. So, yeah, this was an interesting, slightly problematic project from the Coens. And, yeah, you know, like, I think the thing with the six tales, uh, one, one kind of point is really, look... It's covering the Wild West. And the Wild West was so diverse, so different. So to have every story be, you know, similar in tone really wouldn't have been a good job at depicting how different the Wild West was. You know, so I I think it does a good job there. Like, story-wise, like, the first story, yep, that was a lot of fun. Um, Then, like, the second story wasn't bad. Um, And the fourth was okay. But I think it really picks up steam again with um, probably the fifth and the sixth films. Yeah, I, 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 you know, not everything here is as standout as the others, but I think you know one, one, five, and six are definite. But I think two was very good as well, though it is very short. But these are interesting; they provoke different emotions in you. Um, like some great a little, some don't. You know, it, it, you're you're going through this whole kind of situation, really, with digesting this film. You know, invokes so many different emotions and different thoughts, but you also do feel that possibly, you know, would staying together have made any difference, you know, but the likelihood is no, but you still cling to that, yeah, you still cling to that hope, but, um, yeah, the Ballad of Buster Shrugs, you know, I hope you are able to take something from this, uh, because, yeah, it's in, it's definitely interesting, but, yeah, I hope you 
had a fantastic 67 60 second London film festival uh hoping to um you know do it all again next year for the 63rd but we'll you know we'll see how things progress we'll see how things move on and um yeah but th- this was this was an interesting one so yeah it's the um ballad of buster shrugs if you don't have an opportunity to see it in the cinema then um you know you'll be able to catch it on netflix so uh yeah be interesting to know what everyone thinks okay so i'm here with uh georgia paris um georgia is the director of mari so georgia thank you very much for the time like how has um the london film festival been for you well thank you for having me um it's been it's been amazing i'm a big fan of this festival i i actually started off as a volunteer working at it like 10 years ago so I've been coming back every year since and working on it and then a few years ago I was like I have to disappear and try and get my head down to it and come back with a film one day so to be premiering um, my film at the London Film Festival is very special to me because it's a bit, it basically changed my life because it was where I decided I wanted to be a director so it's been a big mm. big a big influence um yeah yeah that's that's uh you know that's a great story <laughs> and i think it's something that maybe a lot of people you know you think i want to do something mm-hmm. and you're not quite sure what to do and then suddenly by being around that environment it gives you the courage just to step forward and, and have a go kind of thing yeah absolutely i think um when i was volunteering originally i was i was doing a bit of writing and acting and it wasn't until I saw a female director do a Q&A after the film that I suddenly was like, oh, this is the first time I've actually seen a female director because we were in the flesh before. And it just hit me, this little seed planted. <laughs> they do exist. They do exist. <laughs> I mean, this was, this was probably eight years ago. Um, and that seed, yeah, was planted. And I, uh, that's when I started to realise I wanted to direct. So it is super important festivals like this exist and we make, uh, make you know, the unrepresented and more visible and Mm, especially mm. this year that's what this festival is doing so I feel very privileged to have the film as part of it well yes there's been a a record number of female directors Mm. and and just females working in the industry at this year's event which is some and that's an interesting point because I was at a women in film panel Mm -hmm. um, the other day Mm -hmm. and so it's just talking about barriers to entry so the before you saw the female director, mm-hmm. that was that something that had you considered it, but for you, there wasn't really a way for you to do it, or was it just not on the radar? Just, well, I hadn't really considered it. I think I was thinking about the acting side of it, so I wasn't. I never. I was sort of my concentration was on was on that, and then when I started to realise that I liked the process of creating the work more than sort of being in it. It was a sort of a slow, gradual process, but that, but actually seeing female directors, that suddenly changed everything. And I think that's just because we need those role models. And growing up, I just thought, you know, what was on in the cinema down at, you know, the Wimbledon Odeon was what was what cinema was. And most of those films were directed by men. And that was just kind of that was the di- that was what I grew mm. up with. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's why I just feel it is so vital that we make um, female directors in front of and um, um, female um, artists 
in front of the camera and behind just more visible to show that there are there are plenty of jobs there and that fact there are actually a lot of us mm. it's just some people don't think there are but we are there, there are loads of us so yeah <laughs> um yeah no, that's really interesting um before we get to the film because yeah. i have got some questions but i just want to you know i find this an interesting topic mm-hmm. and so i was just wondering so as the fact seeing a director was kind of the catalyst mm-hmm. that took you forward. Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything that you do to kind of empower other women to, you know, try their hand yeah. at directing or writing or producing I mean, other things? Just in, the, in terms of, um, you know, when I was doing this film, we made sure that there was over 50% of the crew were female. I mean, the whole film is about women as well, so that's, you know, getting it out there. And also just people that are reaching out to me, that are um, women that are younger and that wanting to get into this, I always make an effort to spend time with them and talk to them and, and just... and. There's another festival that I really love called Underwire Film Festival, which is for all for um, women, and that is an amazing festival and platform and support network. And so I often do talks with them, panel events, anything I can do to kind of just talk about it and say it's totally possible. Just give it a go. Oh, no, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. All right, mm-hmm. splendid. Okay, so so this is your directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Now. What was that like for you? Had you did you talk to other directors to find out right how do you make a film, or did, was this like learning on the job just going? Well, I've done some short film? films before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've done some short films before, and um, so I did have a bit of an idea. But I had I actually won a, a competition through Film London called Microwave, which is for first-time feature film directors. So I had this amazing support network and they gave me mentors um, and so that really, really helped me basically. But it's, it was sometimes a bit of a trial and error and you've got to go with it, but I felt like I was supported and there were people there guiding me, so I was never going to do anything too crazy. But also trust, you know, there was a real sense of trust there that to, to let me make the film I wanted to make. Okay. So that was, that was really good. Right. Well, that's yeah. great. I mean, I'm, I know we're pushed for time, so I'm going to yeah, sneak yeah, go in one it. more. But two-parter okay (laughs) (laughs) um so this film it's got a dance element Mm -hmm. to it and it's like dealing with relationships and barriers and you know openness Mm -hmm. like was that an important theme that you wanted to address and what do you want people to take away from this so i'm i've always been fascinated by family dynamics and relationships and how we communicate better with people and my dream is always because i've always loved contemporary dance as well Mm -hmm. um to bring drama and dance together because i just feel that dance is so dynamic it's so visual and it can allow you to bring a physicality to themes that are very internal and hard to express so charlotte the character is going the main character is going through a lot of emotional sort of conflict and turmoil and you know all the thing about film is you want to make it visual you want to show it you don't want to tell it so using something like dance feels so natural to me it's just like an extension of our everyday body language which we communicate you know we tell so much with um so it allowed me to give a physicality to what charlotte was going through um and address themes that are really important to me but with an extra kind of element that just makes it feel a bit more, I don't know, exciting and interesting to watch because I'm looking at motherhood in the film 
grief, mortality, these are things that get explored in cinema all the time. So yeah. it's about how do I how do I make that feel different and also mm. truthful to to me as a director and a writer. Yeah. Fantastic. And um last thing before we before I get kicked out. Um, <laughs> have, is there a release date? Not yet. We're still we, because we literally finished the film like four weeks ago. We're still we're now in the process of sales and working right, at distribution. Right. But um, keep keep posted on that. One. Okay, well, splendid. Look, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, and yeah, I hope you find distribution soon and everyone gets a chance to see this. Thanks so much. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Okay. So on episode ten. Um, which was Friday, I spoke with uh, Georgia Paris about Mari. Uh, and at the time, you know, the way the festival is and with the, all the press screens and stuff like that, there's a lot of clashes. So I, I, was, I hadn't seen the film at this point. And we were trying to work out the best way of getting to see it. But what I... Um, hadn't realised was today was the premiere of the film and things all fell into place that I was able to go and and watch it. It, it did seem serendipitous as well because, you know, I, I originally went, so I was waiting for um, the rush tickets and essentially I got one, but it was in row E. So I, you know, and I was like, oh, anything at the front, and they didn't. So I thought, all right, let me go, and I'll, I'll check and see what's happening. And yeah, Rowie couldn't see anything. So I went back up so someone else could have my ticket, and they just had a return on a on a on a seat in the front row. So managed to, had got the seat, went down, and was able to see George's. George's film and I'm so glad that I did so Mari it's directed and written by Georgia Paris it's produced by Emma Duffy and it's starring Bobby J Bobby Jean Smith Phoebe Nicholas and Madeline Worrell it's 94 minutes so just slightly over an hour and a half and it's from small town films uh, and so, this is the breakdown. Charlotte, who's played by contemporary dancer Bobby Jen Smith, um, is rehearsing a show with her dance company when she learns her beloved grandmother Mari is dying. At Mari's bedside with her mother and sister, fractious family resentment surface. Charlotte also struggles to process the news that she's pregnant and the inherent implications for her work. As in her award-winning short films, LFF alumnus Paris seamlessly weaves dance into her storytelling. Stunning sequences from Bobby Jane punctuating the drama like a chorus expanding on a narrative in this hugely impressive micro-budget debut Paris probes beneath the surface of a particular English middle-class reserve Joanna Hogg's work a reference point here with 
Sherborne locations, creating a vivid sense of place. And, you know, after, yeah, so after talking with um, Georgia on Friday, you've got a real sense of, you know, her drive for making films and how thankful she was to be in the industry and to be able to see another female director, which was like her catalyst for this. And so, yeah, to then get on to work on this film and incorporate the dance and the movement, it's a big thing. So, like, from her energy talking, this was something I really wanted to see. And I'm so glad that I did because she really has a unique voice, a bit like Amanda Kramer. Like, Georgia Paris is definitely someone to watch and someone that brings a uniqueness, you know, to the screen, to their work, which is fantastic. You know, the film starts off with Charlotte um, kind of working on a dance number with her troupe. So we have this experimental dance going on and the process and we're seeing this and the way it's kind of translating onto the screen is great because there is some really superb camera work just tracking all the movements moving in and out at the right pace as well so it's not too frenzied it's not too frantic but we're still getting that intimacy so it's really it's really interesting and it really works uh you know i have to say it's like an interesting kind of moment is at the beginning when we're seeing the dance we're fully seeing charlotte and we're seeing all the expression on her face and everything you know she she's very energized with what she's doing then as the rest of the film kind of plays out everything is veiled in darkness they're working in rooms that are dark like curtains are fully shut or half shut like if we're seeing someone we're seeing a kind of a silhouette of their face we're not seeing like full features it's all very shrouded and this really kind of emphasizes and and puts a punctuation on the way the family communicate you know it's on that lack of understanding between each member and i think this really works with you know not having anything fully lit having this kind of shroud over everything you know it it really works and Georgia really kind of captures that and gets you to feel all of this when she's making the film which is fantastic you know And, and and it's not until the very end that we then start to see things in more of a light and by this point yeah things have definitely changed as a family so it's really interesting but throughout the film there is this tension 
there's one point when they're at the everyone's at the hospital, so they're around Mari's bed, and um, Charlotte's dad calls. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I was hoping to speak with people. She's like, all right, I'll put you on loudspeaker. So it's on loudspeaker, and then there's just this tension. It's like everyone is walking through quicksand. It becomes very sluggish in responses um, and just everything. And I think that really kind of spoke. Two relationships in this, you know, it, it really kind of um, helped emphasize that point. But um, yeah, there's like you know all the all this stuff that's kind of going on within this film. There's a pent up kind of rage and resentment. And it, you know, it's there. We see it uh, uh, at every angle, every moment. Like there's one moment, uh, and Charlotte says to her sister, "She's like, well, you knew. Why didn't you reach out to me? Why didn't you ask me about it? You know, you say you weren't sure, but I know you know. So why didn't you do this? Why didn't you try? Because you say you're there for me." But you're not. Um, yes, I you know I paraphrased, maybe added a little something. But once you see the scene, you'll you'll know what I mean. And and so there's all of this there, and it's so raw. It you know it, it it's so visceral that it really helps drive the film forward. Because I think, you know, Charlotte has is trying to make these decisions. She's trying to realise, look, do I want a baby? You know, like, I'm taking this time from rehearsal. Like, I've got one opportunity to make a splash here. If this doesn't work, all I am is one thing. And so she's worried about being, like, just one-dimensional, not being able to fully express herself, which is ironic, because she's worried about not being able to express herself at work, and then when she comes to, to hang out with her family, she's unable to express herself there as well. So there's definitely this conflict, this inner log, this inner you know, demon within her, trying to work out, okay, so, you know, how do I drive this forward, like, who am I, what do I do, how do we get past this, how do we evolve, how do we change, you know, so it's very fascinating, it, yeah, it's just this great look at dance within the film, you know, what is that relationship now? Because we've dance and film have gone together for years, for years, for decades, you know. But you know, we're we're stepping into this new era. So how is this relationship? You know, is it still growing? Is it still evolving? Like what's happening here? 
and Georgia does a fantastic job uh, at depicting this. So, um, it's a great film. It really is. And, you know, up up now will be a Q&A. So, remember to listen. And I hope that you're able to see this film and maybe take something different away from hearing what Georgia has to say about the film, you know. So, that's Mary. And, um, yeah, I, I hope you get the opportunity to see it. Working in a rehearsal studio with her dancers, 
to sort of set up this language of choreography that I was going to use later on in the film in a kind of more abstract way. So it's quite traditional, and then as the film goes on, we've got this language that we've seen her use that then starts to be able to um, explore the sort of more abstract things that are going on with her. And I, I mean, when I go and watch dance, it's, uh, I mean, I can't intellectualise it. Past time, I have no idea what's going on, but you just, you just have this sort of emotional reaction. Well, I do anyway, with because it's so connected to the body. So when I felt like once you were invested in a character and then you see her move, you, it's such a powerful experience. So as the film went on, I just trusted that if you cared about her and her family and her dilemma, and then you saw her move and dance in that way, you would realise that she was trying to make sense of what was going on with her, with her family. Um, yeah. That's very open to the audience. I've got more questions, but I'll give you. Yeah? Is there one? Hey, how are you doing? Um, one thing I was wondering about, uh, like at the beginning, we get like a clear look at um, Charlotte, you know, when she's in the studio and she's dancing. And then I think what it seemed like for the rest of the film, there's a lot of darkness. Like you're seeing kind of shades of people you know like half of their faces and it's veiled in you know this darkness the rooms are dark you know the curtains are dra half drawn and that kind of thing like and it seemed that kind of represented the closedness of the family you know the inability to share to kind of have full conversations like was that the intent of that, or did I just make that up? No, that's in my head? perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, very much so. I, there was, I really made a definite decision that I wanted the beginning to feel quite energetic, that she's in her in her world, that there's a strong rhythm to her, and then when she gets back into the sort of family home, that things do close down. And I, I mean, I think families are so fascinating, the dynamics, and how when we get back into that family home, we sort of fall into sort of what people, our roles, we think they should be in. And that darkness of that cottage, um, representative of what they're all going through, but hopefully at the end, there's sort of a, a sense of hope and that there's light again and that they've all been on a journey together. I, I feel like there's no definite sort of answers to it, but I hope you feel like at the end, when she literally draws the curtains open, that things have moved on. I don't think it's gonna be perfect in their family, but definitely a bit better. Yeah. Hi, thank you for a really um, emotional, moving film. Um, you were speaking about, obviously, the influence of dance on the piece. Um, I just wondered whether any uh, cinematic points of inspiration for you as a woman filmmaker? Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, <laughs> there's, there's quite a few, but there's one in particular of um, Joanne Hogg, which is a director, actually, was the director that I saw at this festival years ago, and was like, someone like me possibly that I could you know she inspired me and her the quietness and the observation I love of her work um I can't think of any others there's loads Which but one was it? Um, that was Archipelago yeah um sorry I should know lots of them but my mind, my mind has gone back sorry oh yeah Cledony question over there. 
Hi there. I just wanted to ask about the, the dream sequence with regards to the choreography of it, because I can see that it wasn't, as you said, it was from the, uh, you had a choreographer and then Bobby Jean collaborated on that. Did you have like many versions of how that dream sequence was going to happen? Did you have the input on whether you liked it going a certain way or did you just let complete control go with the choreography? Um, well, there was always, so the funeral images of those photos, which are our starting point of recreating that scene, and I wanted the I wanted the dream to feel quite nightmarish at the beginning, and distorted, and for it to slowly sort of flow into more of a pleasant dream. And you know, the main thing was about being able to see the family and her dancers in that same space, and that it is possible to have both in your life, and that really, if they can connect, it would allow her to move forward. So it was a dream, hopefully, that sort of pushed her story forward that she could see that she could have both in the same space. And seeing though in that final section, with the, the bit where they were in their orange outfits and that piece of choreography that came together. And then that final moment of offering up the best way that she knew how, that dance to her, to Mari, um, because that's the way that she communicates and that was, that was her kind of best offering. So that journey was quite set with Maxine Doyle, who's a choreographer, and I, and Bobby, but there was a week of development and lots of rehearsals and we could definitely have done more, but yeah. While she's waiting for the mic, can you just talk a little bit about, oh, it's not your question, about <laughs> Sherborne as a location? Well, Sherborne is where uh, my family are from and where my granny Mari is from. Um, and it was just, because I spent a lot of time there writing, um, it was really important to use that location to make it feel really real and genuine. In fact, that house my, that we filmed in, my granny lived in at one point. Um, so it has, it sort of felt like she was in the texture of the film, in, in everything, in the production design. And that was hugely important for me for this to come from an authentic place because I just feel that if you're gonna go into this world, you need to come in it with, with a lot of truth because you're dealing with big subject matters. I just was curious about the script writing process and how much of what the script looked like was the actual turnout of the film. And because it's so beautifully translated <coughs> visually, but I can imagine with words, it would have been really tricky and if that was difficult to sell to your you know, money people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's like what Emma was saying, it was, it was a difficult, we were really passionate about it and we knew what we wanted to do. We wanted the dance and the movement to sort of do the explaining, if you like, and represent what was going on to her. But it did, it did take a leap of faith because it's not something you can, it's a visual thing. You need to see it. You need to be able to workshop it. And so when we were in development, I just sort of had to keep sort of arguing my case and saying why I thought the dance was so powerful and how it's an extension of our everyday body language and so we communicate so much through that that it makes sense that it's just that that dance one it's so dynamic for cinema and so visual but also it's just it's just our bodies and it's how we communicate and speak to one another, not one another anyway and I mean they did I feel like they did trust us yeah. yeah they were very trusting I think occasionally there was a bit of nervousness but I think the good thing about the micro scheme was that it's, it can be very risky, um, and that's the point. So if we got to places that were difficult, it was just sort of gently reminding them of that. <laughs> that was you know, sort of what they were after for the commission in the first place. I think we've got time for one more question. Take that one. Thank you. 
It's just, yeah. When the uh, dinner scene was going on, I felt like I was in a painting, like old neo-sentimentalist. And then it starts talking about how the grandmother used to be a painter. So you've got all the dance stuff going on, but how important for that painting is in trying to pitch the colour and tone, particularly in the second half? Well, the painting side of it was hugely important. It was Charlotte, as a young person, sort of growing up, seeing somebody that inspired her and that was expressive and abstract and trying to find her own voice through her work so Mari's work was a huge part of it and also I was I wanted sort of that artwork to sort of slowly evolve so that once she started reconnecting with Mari through her house through her paintings through her jumper that that's when we would start to see what a huge influence it was on her and her and, and probably why she's become a dancer and I think well from a personal point of view whenever I look at pieces of work of art the same with dance. You, I take so much from it, and it's such a personal thing, and there's no right or wrong answer to it, and that, that sat, sits really well with me with what I was trying to do with the film as well, that there isn't a particularly right or wrong answer, or whether she has the baby or not, that's not the point. It's about the process and the creation. So, I don't know if that answers that. Well, thank you so much for being here. You too. So before we um, sign off today, look, at these film festivals, there's awards. So let's go through and see who won. All right. So the official competition for best film award goes to Sudebe Mortarizi's Joy. Uh, and so... You know, this is the vital and hugely affecting drama that tackles the vicious cycle of sex trafficking in modern Europe. It follows the life of Joy, a young Nigerian woman who works the streets to pay off debts to her exploiter, Madame, while supporting her family in Nigeria and hoping for a better life for her young daughter, in Vienna I did actually go to see this film but unfortunately it was subtitled so I wasn't able to um, bring you a review okay so yeah so that's that's joy uh, the next is for the first feature competition the Sutherland Award this goes to Lucas Durant's Girl um, yes, yeah, so Girl is a story of Lara, a transgender teenager who dreams of becoming a ballet dancer in this extraordinary coming of age story. Lucas Dorhant's richly emphatic and beautifully realised film sensitively explores Lara's complex inner emotions, expressing so much even when she herself cannot quite find the words. Um, again, this was a foreign film, uh, so I wasn't able to bring you an award. 
unfortunately. Um, we next have the short film competition. So the uh, short film award. And that goes to Charlie Lynn's Lasting Marks. Um, so, yeah, Lasting Marks um, is a unique. It's uniquely presented as a sideshow of court documents and organised via an oral history by the prosecuted Roland Jaggard Lynn. Um, Laurent Jaggard. Lynn recounts the story of a group of men put on trial for Sagado mechanism in the 1980s. So, yeah, you know, that's the winner of the short film. And lastly, let us look at the um, the documentary competition that Grierson Award and this goes to Robert Minervini's What You Gonna Do When The World's On Fire and we had the pleasure of sitting down with Roberto to talk about this film so I am extremely pleased that you know he he won this um he won this award you know that is fantastic yeah um and it's a thought provoking and all too relevant documentary um f- which follows a, Louis- a louisiana community during the summer of 2017 in the aftermath of a string of brutal police shootings of black men that sent shock waves throughout the country a meditation on the state of race in america this film is an intimate portrait of the lives of those who struggle for justice, dignity and survival in a country not on their side. So again, congratulations Roberto. Uh, those were the award winners of the 67th BFI London Film Festival. And so that's it. Look, I'm going to do a roundup episode. And then I have two more specials. Touching on films that I I haven't been able to cover um, in our in our weekly episodes, so look for those next week. All right, so um, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed the festival, and that's me out. Peace. <laughs>